Podcast. This is John. This is Trav. And this is Rich. Welcome to the Tri-Tac Games Podcast. Your podcast where you too can run around a room covered with little balls and having people film you. No baka. This week we are talking about animation and the possibility that a Tri-Tac game might actually make it into either an anime or an original animation. This topic was suggested by James Buchanan, who sent me a lot of uh, e- emails and uh, unfortunately uh, did not choose to join us tonight, uh, even though I invited him, uh, because uh, he thought that uh, Fringeworthy should be made into a original animation, uh, preferably, or an anime. And uh, rather than trying to beat our heads against the big you know, price tickets of a television show or a big time movie. A lot of times getting into animation is a lower price point and a lot of people are willing to try out uh, ideas a little bit more on, uh, on that level. Oh, and Bruce, I need, I hate to, I hate to, I hate to correct you, but it's original video animation, OVA. Well, it depends, John, because original animation also refers to the kind of animation that's done in America versus what's done over in Japan. Gotcha. The OVA term that you're using usually refers to an, uh, an anime that is done separate from an ongoing series like a television series. Uh, and sometimes they are radically radical departures from the television series. Uh, sometimes they're done with a lot, and, and preferably a lot of times they're done with a lot more money and a lot better production values. So well, kind of like Tenchi Morio and Tenchi Universe. Right. Well, yeah, they they had like three different beginnings for that particular show. If you count some of the movie, if you count some of the movies, it's actually four or five. Well, yeah, yeah, but I'm talking about the ongoing series where you don't just take the movie. Yes, the, even the movies themselves are separate. But uh, I always preferred the one where Ryogo uh, was all, t- uh, you know, was all dressed up like a mummy inside the uh, uh, the tomb. That was always my favorite one. Yeah, I miss that. <laughs> but James did send us some links. Uh, which I'm kind of looking at, but we just basically wanted to, uh, uh, to talk about this possibility and what would it take to actually get um, Fringeworthy or any of these uh, intellectual properties owned by TriTac ready to submit to various companies to say, hey, you know, look at our pretty baby. Don't you want to make a, you know, make a show about it? So 
So I guess the first question would be to Richard, which is, is this something that interests you in any way? Um, I'd like to see something concrete and a, it's, it's difficult to say because, you know, we, we've had the possibility in the last 10 years of a couple of movies coming out, uh, based off of Bureau 13. Didn't you have one based on Fringebury where there was a Meller and you, you know, he was like a mad scientist. You told me about this a long time ago. That was, that was a, a possibility that nick pilata was working on but all of that uh, died with nick uh, so we had uh, any of his notes on fringeworthy <clears throat> he also wanted to do a adventure novel with the interdimensional aspects uh kind of in the background and it was about a serial killer who was on the fringe paths and having a glorious time you mean a you mean a player so, character yeah. no no not, not a player character but a uh a, he wanted to do a novel <laughs> well what's the term john a murder hobo yeah murder hobo yeah basically but he was i did he was recruited in and then he found the perfect killing grounds yeah and they're they're looking at what's going on i just looking at what's going on and knowing that there's something going on it uh a couple of people who thought that maybe there was there, there was something that this guy wasn't right suddenly they're gone or they're they're murdered under unusual circumstances so it, w- it was an interesting idea but like i said the the manuscript for that is probably buried in a box somewhere and i haven't yeah. talked to melissa yet his wife we also we also have an interesting announcement that stargate is being uh it's coming back out again it's going to be re-envisioned or a revision. What is Re- the word? So reimagined. Uh, reimagined again. So. Yeah. So for the third time, then. For three movies. Well, they wanted to do a trilogy originally. Like last year was supposed to be the second movie because it was going to be ten years later, and it just it did. You know, now with James on the blacklist so that that kind of fell through right and for any of our listeners who don't understand why we're talking about stargate uh stargate is a television show that closely mirrors the intellectual property of fringeworthy uh unfortunately for us we published in 1983 and stargate didn't come out until the 90s so we you know it's they who are copying us not vice versa yes oh yeah and we had we had a number of lawyers in a very large legal firm who looked at it and found so much similarity. I think there were sixteen points down to character names that came out of one of the original books. And uh, and we know who we know who did it. We got, we actually got an anonymous letter from the studio, which is uh, a uh, very nice individual say, sent me an original shooting script and outlined where things were basically taken from the from from the book. And when he mentioned, isn't this a game, a role-playing game, they said, shut up, you'll be fired forever out of Hollywood, and mm-hmm. uh, the company's out of business anyway. Uh-huh. And then, and then hilarity ensued. Right, right. Of course, of course the, the problem getting your, 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 your game turned into, a, into an anime, you could end up with, with the original Dungeons & Dragons TV uh, anime, you know, uh, Saturday Morning Kids show. Which wasn't too bad, but it basically wasn't D and D. Right. Well, you can also end up with uh, um, oh, uh, Robotech, which was three different movies 
uh, or three different properties all cobbled together with a voiceover that gave it an entirely different script. So yeah, sure, th- things can happen. Or you're lucky and you get the 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 animated version of either Men in Black or uh, Ghostbusters, which were fairly you know, or Ghostbusters were wonderful. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It was a lot of it was J. Michael Straczynski again. He was writing for <laughs> Ghostbusters episodes. Okay. Wow. They were they were phenomenal. I'm just amazed they just haven't been re released yet. Uh, you know the whole series. Mm-hmm. But uh, all right. So uh, let's just uh, each of us think about which which of the uh, of the TriTech properties we think would be the best choice for. Uh, submitting as a pitch as an anime because each property has to you have to build your own anime bible for uh, a- animation bible for it so before you can submit it to anybody Bruce it's about marketing and what's popular what's popular now isn't necessarily what will be popular in five years or five years ago right yeah. now we have a huge uh you know, our, our thing right now is zombies. You know, why zombies? Because a lot of people feel that the world is falling apart. And the banks and everything else. And the zombies are perfect, you know. However, from the last, last news I read, zombies are also on the way out. Well, then what replaces it after zombies? Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. You mean yeah, epics? You know, because Guardians of the Galaxy is... Epic, yeah, is epic space. So was Star Wars. It was one of the first. Yeah, but uh, I think, but that means in that case, and I would then say incursion because it's you know it's, it's you, you know you have a crew, a misfit crew of people who are abducted, running a ship that basically is far more powerful than anything else out there. Well, the actual incursion, incursion two, would very much appeal to Canadians. Yeah, <laughs> and that and that's the market we want to go for. We get the same same production company that made Star Loss. Yow, yow. Okay, but John, okay, you know, let's let's look let's talk about what you're suggesting here. Okay. So in uh so what we have here is we have a property where it starts off with kind of a bang. You know, you're you're a person, you get abducted, and you wake up and just and, and like in a lot of these animes, you get thrown into a situation where you really don't understand what's going on. Uh, and you know, there's a big battle at the beginning. There's lots of funky looking aliens and you finally end up, you know, having the showdown with the captain and he ends up destroying the way home and you have to figure your way out from there. That sounds like a really strong first episode pilot episode for a series. Yeah. And, and one thing when I, when I ran my games, I had most of, they were all, they were all prepped ready for being sold as slave, which means they're, they all, their skin had been dyed bright for less than orange and all the hair had been removed. So that, you know, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, they, they, they ran, they ran to the odd doc, you know, then just fixed them up. Yeah. Yeah, this this by the way is not in uh, in the game itself. John just decided to add that. So <laughs> I, I've never had the my guys come out come or you know like or, like bald oranges out of the uh, uh, the cryo tubes. <laughs> yeah, but it's a great way to spot slaves. Even if they strip down naked, they're still bright for us and orange. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you think about this, Trav? I think. Uh- 
as you guys know, I mean, Rich knows this, Incursion was my gateway into TriTac. My first wife bought me the, the yellow 92 edition 20-some-odd years ago, dear God, I'm old, before my daughter was born. So, yeah, if I would want to see that problem is, uh, it kind of smacks of another series that talks about humans lost in a galaxy. Farscape! Uh, yeah, and, and oh, lost in space! Uh. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with that? I mean, you know, it has plenty of good company, so what? Look the at the smaller you... products also. The Look at Poisters. Look at, because mm-hmm. uh, you've got action, adventure, and uh, martial arts monks trying to bring back technology. Look at uh, Rogue 417 is just depressing. Rogue 417 is your zombie product, Richard. Well, yes. in a way. Every way that counts. Uh... Let's see, what is the other one? Um, oh, Hardware Ninja Land. I mean, that's that's your pulp adventure. That is a pure pulp adventure, yep. And there's been yep. nothing quite like it other than Disney's Tailspin. <laughs> I actually believe, Richard, that uh, Hardware Hinterland, after running it as a campaign for a while, probably is your strongest uh, product as far as something that's more contemporary, uh, is in, in as far as the contemporary mindset, most of uh, my players actually prefer it over the other products that are produced by TriTech. And uh, I mean, you've got so much stuff condensed into such a small area that it actually, and you have so many other weird things too. We've got a weird zone. Well, let's let's well, let's go back to to uh, anything more you wanted to guys talk about as far as why you think that. Uh, uh, incursion would be a, a good uh, a good product to pitch as an animation. What do you think of the Constantipur Light Force? Oh yeah, I mean the, the, you have a ready ready set set of villains who may actually you know in the in the in the modern age may not quite be villains but be more like you know more along the line of you know, just following orders type. Oh yes, yeah, that's the whole thing. Once the magistrates got into power. Remember, the Constantinople Light Force had their own code of morals and ethics and laws that they followed until the magistrates started putting those monitors on the ships. And when people didn't follow the magistrates' orders through the monitors, people disappeared. So all it takes is one good catalyst to fire up that old spark of loyalty to the old code and the light force can become a very powerful and dangerous force for good and get things right again. But until that happens, you have people who are wanting to do the right thing and aren't really aren't able to do the right thing until the player characters or the, the characters of, of the animation come along and act as that catalyst to make them stand up you know, and be counted. Yes. My players went on a rampage against slavery. They decided that they were going to basically, you know, free the slaves. And that, and unfortunately, we didn't get, we unfortunately, due to the events, we didn't, we didn't get that much farther, but they decided they're they going to start freeing slaves and, and, uh, you know, do away with slavery in the galaxy. You know, it's just a small little thing. <laughs> so were all the races uh, in, uh, uh, 
in incursion? Were they all supportive of slavery? I don't remember. Yes and no. Depends on where you go. It depends on the society. Like 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 I had on. Uh, what, what was the first the first big station you stopped at again? That was Zemex. Zemex station. Their slavery was illegal, but indentured servitude was just fine. So you know, in for you know six six of one, half dozen the other. Well, they're not the same at all, and you know that. Yeah, I know, but but once you get them off of once you get them off of Zemex, you can turn them into slaves. Yes, it's a fine line. We have indentured servitude, and we have slavery still in this in the uh, yep. 2014, yep. and yep. most of that is still in Africa and Asia. Yeah, and we've so, got uh, indentured servitude for the way they built Dubai. They imported a lot of uh, Indian and uh, East uh, Asian workers, and basically, once they're in, they're stuck. Well, I just um, I just watched the um, semi live action Captain Harlock because it's all three D full, full full motion animation. Oh yeah, I, I, in fact, Bruce, oh. I, I watched that about a week ago. You know, here you have a a, a, a heroic figure, right, you know, commanding a starship and uh, going around and and doing what he thinks he should be doing, uh, regardless of what anybody else says. And in, in incursion, you have, you know, our, our humans and, and their alien friends who are in the command of a legendary starship that happened to fall in their laps. So as long as they don't run into another legendary starship, they're pretty much kicking butt everywhere they go. Yep. And unfortunately they're driving a space tug and they haven't run into one of the uh, Ashani warships. Uh, well, I hate to call them warships because because the Ashani were pacifists. Ashani dance ships. How's that? Or singing ships? Well, but still, the point, John, is, is like I said, is that that's not. They don't usually run into them. There's only like twelve of them in the entire galaxy, right? No, I thought there was more. Richard, how many how many Ashani ships are in the are in the galaxy? Well, the remaining ones is probably eighteen. 18? Okay. Okay, that's not a whole lot. That's what the Constopnor had, and the fact that they were they were fascinated. The, the other ships were bigger ships. They were transports, and uh, probably passenger ships. And But they ended up with a tug. And that tug was actually smaller than uh, mm-hmm. in the original book, and because it, it was, uh, a, it was a, apparently a uh, transport frame built around a tug. So that was a tiny vehicle, but incredibly powerful. That's my point. So you have this tiny but powerful vehicle able to go up against other other ships many many times its size uh, because of all its regenerative and uh, powers that it had, and of course its own AI that was very uh, very friendly. I think that that the the Constopter Life Force, if we were to run Incursion as a series, animated series or anime, have you know the crew of the Ardana knew after they you know cut their teeth on learning how to work the darn ship, they start becoming do-gooders, and you have cut-in scenes of the Constopner Life Force hearing about this, and meeting them would be like a series finale second season opener, where they realize, oh, we're no longer the big fish in the pond. There are much bigger fish out there, and they want our fish. And third season is when the Canadians show up, and the Mounties. 
Well, I always mentioned that the first season ending when they meet, when they finally run into one of the, uh, uh, Const- Const- I can't say the name, Constepanor, 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 uh, uh, sh- uh ships, and they basically turn on the Kumbaya device, and yeah, you stand down, because you'd be busy singing, that's all you do. I'm pretty sure that the uh, being in another Ashani ship, you should be immune to that. Okay, so all right, so that's that's uh, incursion. So you you like that, okay? And okay, so and I like um, Hardware Hinterland because a, a bunch of reasons. One is is it because it is a science fantasy and a lot of animation. I mean, first of all, I have not seen an animation that's truly hard science. I don't think ever. Okay, so the fact that it's more of a uh, science fantasy, I think, works really well. Planets, Wings of Honanes, uh, those are hard sci-fi. Titan AE? Uh, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to disagree with that. <laughs> Titan AE was actually very good, but it was it got into, it ends up being a little mystical, and that's where you kind of, eh. No, no. My my aunt was when they sh- they fired off the star the spaceship to take it off the planet. Okay, how big that ship was, and everything else having to do with that last takeoff with the whole planet exploding. I was like, that was pure Hollywood, you know, uh, blonium. I'm sorry, Richard. It comes down to it, though. Planets. Um, see, planets is very is very hard science fiction. Wings of Hanames is very hard science fiction, and. Believe it or not, Rocket Girls is very hard science fiction. What was the one with the cleanup crew in space? They were in orbit? Planets. And they were picking up junk. It was planets, yeah. That was wonderful. Okay. But the vast majority of animation and anime out there is really science fantasy. They have the trappings, but... Usually that you know they've got like somebody with you know amazing powers. Uh, you know I I they they, they I think a good uh, example of a mix between things that made sense and didn't make sense was probably Gunbusters because you know you've got girls that are running these giant robots. You got the people traveling fast in light and having to deal with time dilation. Okay. And then you have the second series, Gunbuster Two, which is completely over the top because they <laughs> they cut a black hole in half. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that was that was science affliction. And they got lines like, "Such a thing isn't possible in physics." I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, the original Star Trek, the uh, animated. Oh. Yeah. That was pure science fiction. The, the the one where they had the slaver stasis fields. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the talking and the t- giant and the giant Spock who didn't collapse of his own weight. Ah <laughs> 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 uh, well. Okay, so I think you're making my point for me. Uh, the point is is that you know uh, here you know in Hardwire Hinterland you have this really interesting you know thing where you have all these environs, these islands that are square on a grid, and everyone has a different uh, uh, a different culture, a different time period which they're trying to live, different technological stuff. Even though 
loss because they're costly having people travel from one to another there's still plenty of anachronistic stuff in it too so you've got mushrooms that allow you to teleport to your left i mean you know it's you got animals with a capital a that can speak and talk and you know walk around like goofy or you know uh or uh, bugs bunny or pigs yeah, the pigs i'm saying oh, and, and some of them aren't some are more like you know uh, like Babe, where he just talked, you know, and uh, and the sheep talked and whatever. The, the, the point is that you have all this vastly different things. The hard part of it then is to say, okay, here's a story arc that we think would be a good story arc for this particular animation. That would probably be the hardest part of it. But everything else about it really uh, allows you to encapsulate an adventure in a small area and then go to another one, which will be completely different. But it makes perfect sense that it would be completely different. Well, the thing is, with this, you could do mini story arcs, episodic parts, and a grand story arc. Like the main character, he's trying to get home. He's trying to find a way... You know, he hears legends and stuff. And so along the way, he's got like, okay, here's a three-episode arc where he's on New Old New York. Here's a two-episode arc where he's in um, the Magical Apocalypse Land. I'm blanking on it. Oh, uh, you mean Magic Cost. Magic Cost. Magic Cost. Then you've got, you know, he's got three episodes about local stuff back in New Akron. And then, you know, the season finale, you get the, um, in Anton's land where you meet him, the gangster, the, the overlord. So yeah, you that way. And it's all about this guy dealing with it's part magic, part science. There's all these weird creatures and he's just some guy for, he's like an accountant from Poughkeepsie and all of a sudden he's neck high in all this, you know? Almost all of Richard's games uh, have the uh, newcomer fish-out-of-water concept that's usually the start of most uh, animations or animes. Normal guy in extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. This is one of the few games also where you can legitimately have a robot character, a character from ancient Rome, a cowboy from the from the 1860s or 1880s, uh, a, a like you said, an accountant from the 1990s, and uh, so and some guy from some guy who does magic because he came from a magical world and turned left and didn't realize what he was doing, you know, and all in the same all in the same group, <laughs> yeah, it, even a cat girl, yeah, gotta have a cat girl if you can do anime. So we we're talking. An anthropomorphic part human female part cat. <laughs> Two and a half, three foot tall. <laughs> well, not as she, not as she's a lynx or a tigress. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> They're bigger than humans. Richard's cat was about that long. Found its hind legs to be that long. Yeah, not quite three foot. More like two foot. <laughs> but but short little cat girls has never has never been a bad thing. I seem to average 22 pound cats. So, <laughs> but yeah, a tigress, you know, ti- you know, a tiger, you know, it'd be interesting. It'd be uh, something the same size. So a lynx and a, you have two characters, a lynx and a dog makes it wonderful. You know, you got to have that contrast. Yeah. You, you, you <laughs> your, your pilot could, could actually be a bow constrictor just wrapped around all the controls. Nah, if you're gonna have a you, your proper pilot's gonna be a chimp. 
we're we're turning into <laughs> Disney. No, stop right now. That's one reason why we've talked about you know. The, well, I mean, okay, I mean, clearly, uh, a tailspin is you know. We've always considered that to be a strong uh, influence on this game, Richard. Are you saying it isn't? Well, when I saw Tailspin, I, my, my mouth was open and I had to have, you know, basically press the close and I went, oh my God, it's, the concept is lovely. But, uh, you know, you needed something a little more science fiction and something that was yeah. more logic. Yeah. So. So you came with, with Hardware Angel Land instead. Okay. Uh. <laughs> Hardware Angel Land was almost, what, eight, eight years in the making, basically. Yeah. I mean, being like 30 years in the making? <laughs> no, I, it, You've been telling me about Hardware Hitter Land almost as long as I've known you, Richard. Well, and, and Incursion. Incursion was the longest production that it was ever done. It was, I think it was exactly 10 years from the first file, which I still had. To the, the day it went in for printing. Yeah. Now, the other good thing is you can't have recurring villains in the forms of air pirates. Wow. El Tarib is up there looking for you. <laughs> and any kind of thing flies. I mean, you could stick you know, the right equipment and two wings and whatever in a bathtub and actually make it fly. Oh, that could be an episode. They're, they're marooned, they're, they're marooned on, a, on a desolate you know, um, environment with They've cut down the only tree, and they have a choice. Use it for firewood or use it for a plane. Well, we've already talked about that you could take uh, a, a lightning crystal and attach it to a person, and you could literally you know, take a couple of, of uh, fronds from a palm tree and probably beat your way <laughs> over to the next environ. You need a little bit of velocity and a little bit of lift. It's that's the hard part. Oh, the, the crystal D takes a little bit more. So, yeah. Now the move. What was the movie where they had to build the airplane from from two broken airplanes? That was Flight of. That was the, the Fly of the Phoenix. Fly of the Phoenix. Flight of the Phoenix. Wonderful. You'd have to do something like that to get off that island. You'd have to, you know, go scra- scavenge all the other planes that crashed there and build a. Hopefully, build something that, that might fly. Right. Well, if you've ever seen Seven Days and Seven Nights, he. He basically uh, turns the uh, wheels. The, he loses the wheels on one side, and he put, builds an outrigger from bamboo and stuff, and uses that as a means of getting off the uh, off the ground by basically sc- scooting down the beach, which isn't a proper runway by, by any regard. But he manages to get off. But you could you could conceivably do that, you know, with uh, you know with a lightning crystal helping you out. As long well as you can bounce it into the air, you can actually fly. But you got to get into the air. Well, well, I mean, the rubber wheels, Richard, would be able to insulate it enough. It may be a little more than that because the the normal rubber wheels on most of the craft in the hardware hydro line, they they still conduct whatever the motive force is. So you got to get off the ground. So you just build a little dirt ramp. Go hit the ramp, boom. It doesn't have to be very much. You just got to get off the ground. So the ramp can be all of two inches tall. If you're off the ground, Richard, you're off the ground. Let's leave that alone. That's, that's okay. All right. All right. We're, we're basically, we're talking about ideas that we would like to see animated. Okay. So anyways, I like that one.
the I, actually I think for or for the overarching one is the one straight from the book. You know, they're busy building a rocket to go to the other side of the sky. And you're involved in that. I mean, I actually was involving my players in that. Of course, they were getting things like they needed they need another giant crystal. You know, one's the size of hen, the size of a goose egg. No, the size of an ostrich egg. And and uh, Anson was not selling his one, so someone stole it. The size of a medicine ball. Oh yeah. To bring something up that the the uh, the size of the yeah. beagle. And Anson wasn't selling what he was got, so someone stole one. And the, the, my t- my group got involved with that, and that's going to be far more science fiction oriented than a lot of the other stories. So, you know, par- partially you have to decide what kind of a story you want to do, and that's one of the reasons why the Hardwire Hairland is so good because it allows you to go so many different ways. I mean, you could have straight science fiction one time, then a fantasy, then uh, a hard what. Hard, I was going to say, hard-boiled detective novel kind of story as well. So all those are possible within that same environment. So, and of course, if you were just going to do a one-shot, then you'd probably go with you, you. No one would ever know about all these other possibilities. But if you did an animated series, then I'm sure that there'd be a lot of traveling to different places like that. Oh yeah, and the, the and of course there would be the 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 mandatory beach scene in Owongo. A lighter episode. Uh, they're taking a break, you know, from the guys trying to find his way home. And he, okay, I'm going to relax a little here. I'm going to, you know, that's where they would land after they uh, the this, the ship came back from the other side. <laughs> it would be Etowongo. And of course, the episode ends with him standing there, going, "Okay, guys, let's, let's head on back." And he goes, "Where's our airplane?" Okay, uh, so uh, Bureau Thirteen. Uh, I mean, Richard, you got it start going all the way from eighteen uh, uh, seventy three, isn't it? Eighteen sixty two, eighteen sixty one, right around there, up to eighteen eighty nine. We did the next piece will, that when it comes out will be eighty nine to uh, nineteen twenty, and then another piece after that. So my question to you, Richard, is: Is it which? Of the periods of Bureau 13, do you think would be the best choice for today's audience? The agency and the, the Supernatural Bureau has been done to death. If you're going to do it, and Men in Black almost goes back to the 50s. Uh, and who, who, the Victorian aspect of it, maybe, but the question is whether really Bureau 13 is is Wild Wild West, and the question is what, whether Bureau 13 would be a viable viable in the present market, a, yeah. a viable uh, animation. I would go with yeah. some, something else entirely. Yeah, because the only thing you could probably, well, I gotta say, the only thing you could do in that time, in Victorian time frame would stay away from the West, stay on the East Coast. Well, they just, they just released uh, Screw on Head. Which was very, very bureauish. Oh, you're right. I saw that. Yeah, and it's also, yeah, it's also, I would say, mostly East Coast. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's okay that that somebody has walked this road before. You're saying that it's, uh, it, that the modern supernatural hunters has been done to death. It's being done to death. It's the uh, it's being booked to the booked to death 
TV series to the to death series to death. Yeah. Uh, it's really not. I don't think it's viable. Okay. It's not. It's not original. Well, it was original at one time. Yeah, <laughs> but the only thing you can do is jump is jumping ahead, say, twenty years, forty years, a hundred years. You know, bureau in space, or how you should, should do it correctly, bureau thirteen in space. <laughs> now, FT, FTL is space opera, and there's you know we never really released a an adventure module for it. We've got stories, we've got material, we got some really good stuff, but never really the market didn't happen. It always struck me as being rather generic, Richard. It never had a kind of its own identity. Well, it was it was believable space. There was a huge group playing down at NASA, NASA engineers for a while. Well, we had a NASA. So I mean, there was once a connection to Bureau 13, but you scrapped that. I remember that in the original Cops uh, write-up, you actually had an agent, had a, had a Bureau in, in the original Cops write-up. Oh, yeah, it's, all, it's, it's, also, it's also in FTL itself. Okay. So it's, everything got linked together. It was just... What do you think, Trav? FTL? Hmm. Yeah, not a whole lot was done on that. I mean, you did put out two books. I mean, it was that expansive of a game. Almost it, three books. The two and a half books. The, the other half is in the the uh, the uh, CD PDF. Ah, uh, yeah. I would have to say maybe the cops variant, maybe the enemy stars variant. Enemy yeah. Stars was wonderful. It was the I ran for over a year at the University of Windsor, and the players still come back to and talk to me about it. And that was almost twenty years ago. I would think maybe one of those variants. I don't know if straight up FTL. Uh, you'd have to have a hell of a hook. You need some arc. You need some sort of arc. It, it you know, and it would be either something along the line of. You know, finding one of the Forerunner uh, species, you know, finding things with them. You'd have comedic moments with, like, the Kroven and all that, but I mean, but they're usually hidden away. They're not exactly out in the public eye. Yeah, there are Kroven out there, but they're not all that extroverted. You know, you have to kind of focus. And the other question is, would you like to do a, a Straczynski, which is would it only be, you know, a limited run series? It has a start, a middle, and an end. You know, and the potential for anything more past that end can be kind of hard because, well, you had the end. I mean, as much as I tried, like, uh, be, be, you know, Babylon 5 Crusaders, it didn't work for me. Yeah, didn't fly with me, yeah. I... Well, everything has a shelf life, guys, so it's okay for something to end. Yeah, it's, it's 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 pretty amazing. We've had an incredible shelf life in the gaming industry. Oh yeah, and yeah. The new stuff is actually. I've had a lot of commentary people talking to me about cloisters, and they're they're all excited about it. And I was just, it was kind of a, an idea, together in a very short time, and uh, put it out because ninety percent of those scenarios, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Campaign data and uh, people really caught on to that. 
Okay, well then let's let's move on to the uh, eight hundred pound gorilla. <laughs> Putting aside all of its comparisons to Stargate and everything that they did. Or should I say everything that they stole? Put all that aside, okay? We, we're not here to, to, to bash Stargate. You know, we're here because obviously they were successful. They, they, were, they were obviously successful because they were drawing upon the rich soil that was fringeworthy, okay? So, talking about that, all right, so which do you think would be the best, the strongest way of going? The early campaign, the middle campaign, or the late campaign? Well, I mean, if we wanted to stick to canon, we'd want that progression. We would want an IDET team to go, okay, we're dealing with these fringe pirates. You know, yeah, they, they seem to know the paths better than we do. Yes, we're meeting the Victorians. Yes, we're meeting the aliens. Okay, we've beaten the fringe pirates. Oh, you know, we're, we're starting to beat the fringe pirates. Oh, dear God, there's this new menace out there. Okay, we've beaten the fringe pirates. Now we got to deal with this new menace. Well, that would be great if you actually were doing like what they did in Stargate, where you really did start off in one world and you slowly made new friends, and every every season you brought in a new and bigger and badder, whatever. Okay, but I think that's you know I I think that's a little bit too, um, uh, just just a little bit more than we should expect. I mean, if we're going to go and we want to be able to make a, a, a short series that might get picked up for some more, what's our strongest? What's our strongest property? What's our strongest buy-in? For for Fringeworthy, uh, what I do, I am. I don't think I've ever run an IDET campaign. I've always run it. The native worlds find the fringe paths, and they go their own route. Maybe that way. Have you know? It's a warp, and you know have the fringe worthiness and all that, but not IDET, because then that would, you know, try to make it original, still keep it fringe worthy, but you're not going the IDET angle. That has worked for me on several campaigns. So that one episode of Next Generation where Riker is disguised as an alien and he starts out on the alien world and from their POV and up until the point that they realize, oh, he's not one of us. Yeah, it's an absolutely wonderful episode. One of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. Do the late campaign, do like my campaign, Escape from the Coptics, where you are all people who are drawn into the whole fringe thing because you were captured by the Coptics and through a fluke accident, you're now having to deal with the fringe paths because you're, you know, running from world to world trying to keep out of their clutches. My personal opinion is that I think that the late campaign would be better because First of all, every, you know, you're going to be able to have you know people using all the different powers of the crystals. You're going to have them doing all kinds of crazy stuff with the fringe paths, as well as um, you know the portals. You know, and some of those problem portals that we basically decided that well, those problem portals are just ones where the powers are stuck. You know, <clears throat> all those things were actually good things that you know you could actually do. So catch it being caught on fire and, and you know, is a good thing? <laughs> well, yeah, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're happy to be a, a creature that needs body temperatures around a thousand degrees, yeah, that's really nice. That's, that's like, that's, that's like, that's, that's like a first aid station when you, you know, from dealing with hypothermia of the normal temperatures on the fringe paths. That, that wasn't one of the powers we gave to the crystals. No, that is a truly broken uh, portal, yeah. 
my Escape from the Copics campaign is 24 years in, so that's late campaign. And so the Coptics, you know, they've been out for a while. They know a lot of the tricks of the fringe paths. And when they get their hands on a key, which they would have to because it'd be a good way for them to sneak up and stun a fringe, find and stun a fringe worthy, you can get into all the stuff that IDET has found without going the IDET route. All the weird powers, all the new technology, all these Commonwealth worlds that have been left behind. And you have all these people from different worlds. And again, you can have something like Hardwired Hinterlands. Uh, let's see, in, in my Coptics campaign, I have a, robot, a doctor from the Macross Robotech era now living in Invid Invasion. I had a half-elf investigator from the Shadowrun realm. Um, a couple of uh, uh, fantasy adventures, like from a D&D realm. Uh, let's see, who else do we have? A anthropomorphic bird woman with telepathy from a steampunk realm. So you have all these different characters who've been captured by the Coptics, and they have to bring all their unique gifts together and just, well, survive. It's still fringe-worthy. You're dealing with all the aspects of fringe-worthy, the paths, the portals, the pathways, the Coptics, a very pervasive foe. And it's not the same, it's not exactly in canon. You're not dealing with IDET. You might deal with IDET later down the line in a story arc after they've come out that far. Oh, well, who are you? Well, we're, you know, from our world, we're a United Nations back force, and, you know... IDET could come in and save you. Well, that too, yeah, because, yeah, to get caught in the middle of that firefight between the IDET and the Coptics, yeah, ooh. <laughs> And to be honest, if it really is a late campaign, IDET may no longer exist anymore. I don't think that's going to happen, John. Well, 20, well 24. Uh, I keep thinking late campaign, it's being like 50 years. It's still... I, I... No, mainly because the way my players took their time examining a the world. There's no, There was no smash and grab. They took their time. There's no way I can see hitting all... Hit, getting, getting nine platforms out in less than maybe nine, nine years. Right, but that's not what you're going to be doing in an animation, John. That's that's not how that's not how you build the plots like that. No. And, and remember, a lot of those portals were locked even in the early campaign, so they had to pass them by. Okay, we can't go to this portal. Go to the next one. But but one thing I can think of though, if you really are out, say in in the hundreds, you know, getting back to Earth Prime, maybe like that one episode, you know, they have to go back. Otherwise, they stay. They're out there on the platforms. They they go back. They, they may have a, a pocket stop or a, a world they go to as their as their base of operations. Well, that that's what you mean with the Coptics campaign I'm running right now. I see these characters on Invid Invasion, Mospita, New Generation Earth. They're fighting the Invid. They have another Earth that they can go to. It's a fantasy based Earth, but they're on the Invid world right now, and they're you know neck high and trying to evade the Invid. So, I mean, they have the ability to go to the fringe paths. That's not the problem. But they've had to deal with the Coptics. They've had to deal with the fringe paths. They've had to deal with various worlds and just... They explored uh, the negative 124 alt platform. They did all eight Earths. And just their minds were blown because they realized, okay, we're nowhere near home. We don't know how far we are from home. And we're trying to, you know, pick and choose stuff to get us supplied and ready to go from 
anywhere from a fantasy world to 1920 Shanghai to, you know, and so they've had to piecemeal themselves together stuff just to survive. Plus, you know, rip and rob, rip off from the Coptics when they, you know, find wreckage or whatever. Well, the main reason I like the idea of the the later campaign is because you, you're at a point of knowledge where you do understand how these things work. Maybe not your original character because you know that's that could be the stand-in for the 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 viewer, you know, who doesn't really know everything. But you have all these people who have these resources available to them that they can go to alternates to solve a problem, or they might even go out to the system platform to do something else, and even to the star platform because if the node that you're on actually has star travel, then you have can have all these different platforms being used as part of this overarching plot of the animation. Okay. And, uh, and it might only take place on one node, but you have all these things that you can do, including activating the portals to do things like, okay, the, there's a warp on the grounds where we're going to activate and force that warp up in orbit. And we're going to launch something in earth's orbit. That's, you know, that's something that you, you know, uh, you wouldn't get in the early campaign because they didn't even know they could do it. They thought that was something that was always bad. Hmm. Right. So that's one reason why I like the idea of the later campaign. Uh, what, uh, what about the Meller? Are the, uh, you know, is, is the Meller the best uh, villain to have in, uh, in a fringe-worthy property? It depends on what you're going for. I mean, if it's going to be more of a... Well, I mean, the military, if you're going for like, okay, this is like a military hunting group and, you know, we're exploring worlds and all that, the Mellor or the Coptics, either one could be a really good villain. Because the Mellor, you can sit there and play the psychopathic killer with legions at his command. You're forgetting my favorites, the African Socialist Alliance and the Chileans. And also, yeah, but also don't forget the um, the the Miller can also be played, especially Master Miller, as the the the, the mastermind who basically does doesn't go do rampant violence until he's ready for it. Otherwise, it's, in, it's lots of intrigue. It's a lots of intrigue. Well, if you're in the late campaign where the Miller threat has been essentially neutralized, then you could have a Miller character. He's that guy that no matter how much he gets shot up, he just sucks it up and keeps on coming. And don't forget, Tremeller are in the equivalency almost all the way through the campaign of a civil war. There's more than one type of Tremeller. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's all the Commonwealth parallel and alternate Tremellerns and then the T-Primers. The T-Primers, which, which are very different. Yes. Right, but we won't know until Richard produces a certain supplement. <coughs> We're still yeah. waiting for the art. And, it, and oh yeah, it is also a bit of open secret if you were if you frequent the uh, FTL for, uh, Yahoo forums that there's also Tremelon and FTL, two of them in fact, two different species, the Barlow and the Vesh. Okay, the Barlow I see. The Vesh. The Vesh, where are they? They're biological organisms created by some unknown race. Gee, that sounds like someone we know, don't we? They're also from another universe. Okay, refresh my memory on what the Vesh look like. 
Um, Ew. Yeah. Well, they're, they're not the sticks. They're they're the ones that are kind of like Gumby, right? They they got they got shark like mouths. They got shark like mouths. They basically can rebuild their bodies as they need to. They can actually take an arm off and put a different arm on. Are, are these the ones that are in the crystalline armor? Who are those? No, no, that for the Sandroll. Sandroll. Sandroll are more like pill bugs. Okay, so uh, so obviously I've I've forgotten. So all right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The, 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 strip the skin off a human being and just basically leave it as all the muscles showing, and uh, change the shark face and uh, bigger heads and uh, just different. So yeah. these are another bioengineered race, is what you're saying? Yep. And John, you yep. did have nightmares as a child, right? Uh, <laughs> Because they sure as hell gave me nightmares. Oh yeah, I'm the I'm, I'm the creator of the Vesh. Yeah, your 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 pictures in the book weren't that that evocative. <laughs> Sorry, you you're. I'm sure as you were imagining them, Richard, they were much worse. Well, yeah, I consider I played I played I played them as Vesh in in the initial playtest campaign. I'm playing very Vesh. I almost succeeded in and in hijacking the Santa Barbara. But uh, so you don't think just having a story arc where they're they're going to a world that's being overrun by Meller? I mean, we already established it takes about two weeks to destroy a planet. That's a pretty that's a pretty good story arc on an animation, you know. Yeah, they basically got to get all the pangolisks and and slargs, you know, wrapped in in cages out there as quickly as they can. <laughs> I can see that now. You got these slarg carriers. You know, with the head sticking out, going, no, 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 leave me alone. I don't want to go. <laughs> oh, that's just too cruel, John. I'm sorry. <laughs> I realize the carrier. They would be, they would be catatonic. Hey, as long as their mouth is open, you can just bite, make them, you know. I think they would be catatonic by the time the, you got them any place they would be useful. Just knowing that they couldn't run away, I think, would just drive them absolutely bat crazy. Or they would 1% fight would kick in. Which wouldn't help you because there's no Meller there at that point. Yeah, just you, which is bad enough. And if they bite you, you're, you're not going to turn purple and get better. Nope. <laughs> Most people, I think, would when they think of Fringeworthy, they'd say, "Yeah, you got a bunch of explorers going to an alien world, and then they find, you know, they find the Meller in the freezer, and it goes on a rampage." I mean, it's pretty much aliens, isn't it? Yeah, except a, the Meller. I mean, you open the freezer up, and it's not a Meller; it's a guy who's, you know, you know, who's going. I'm really cold. And you never know. I mean, if you play the Miller right, you never know you found one. Ah, uh, well, uh, I'd be awfully suspicious that I happened to open the door just as this guy was about to die. And he, and you know, I mean, it was like, how did you get in here? How, yeah, I mean, just whatever. Okay, I mean, that's that's where the writing comes in. Okay, yeah, yes. And if you play him, but see the point, John, is that there's no point in playing a Meller that where, where it never gets revealed. That's just bad writing. I mean, you you gotta you know you gotta use the gun that you showed in the first scene, right? You know, he's the the mask has to come off. Oh, I mean, there, there I can I can imagine that a Meller only episode where where a different team you know encounters a Meller who takes the, takes the form of a dog, and the dog visits everybody. 
and all of a sudden, there's Joe doing something really strange. No, there's Bob. And they start getting paranoid. Well, you guys, is the Miller. And ends in a bloodbath, and the Miller then, then, then walks up and goes to the survivor going, oh, hi, and eats him. If you're going to do a, a, a story with a single Meller, I would much rather it be a story where the hero is a Meller and doesn't know he's a Meller. Oh, you know, oh, oh, you know what? We did make mention, you know, about the world, about those places where they had the memory transfer. What happens when a Master Miller had, had went through that memory transfer? I don't know. Richard? Would a master Meller inhabit someone's brain that way through the memory transfer? The the memory transfer, but not the physical, not the the abilities, uh, not the not the ability to shapeshift or whatever. Yep. Yes. So he's busy trying to keep that person alive as long as he can. Yeah. There are mutant Mellers. So it's quite possible for someone for a Meller to suffer a trauma that could actually give him amnesia, or it could be one of those uh, memory crystals that really screws with one. Hmm. And he or just, the Meller isn't what you think. It's this Meller doesn't want, isn't going to obey, and doesn't want to kill people. It's more like an original Meller, or he's got these. You know, is like like the whole werewolf thing where he's got these rages that come over on, and he's trying not, you know, to give in to them. And it's 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 almost like there's two different personas in war with each other. Yeah, I mean, they could all be done. Oh, the Jekyll and Hyde. That's not terribly unique compared to some of the other stuff that's infringeworthy. Yeah, definitely Jekyll Hyde. Also, sometimes he wakes up in the wrong body. Yeah, that would be really. Oh, yeah, I wake up and I'm not who I'm not who I was when I went to sleep. I'm now a, a female versus a male, and yeah, you know, or a little kid, or a dog, like you said. <laughs> what about this fringe pirates? Is there enough, you know, meat there to to actually do a good story with the uh, the fringe pirates? Yeah. I mean, you can start out with you, 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 you're part of an IDET team that gets raided. You know, the hero's part of the team, and he's now, and he's, but he's captured alive, and he's brought, and they basically Shanghai him. And it's now him living with the fringe pirates, trying to figure out what he can do to get himself free. But at the same time, he starts realizing who the fringe pirates are and the fact that they're not really evil, they're just doing what the only way they know how to survive on the fringe paths. Well, they have a philosophy. They have a philosophical difference. And I like that idea because then I've always felt that the fringe pirates knew a lot more about the fringe paths than you know anybody in IDET. So you don't have that whole, well, there's all this potential here, but unless the unless the anime gets like, you know, 20, 30 episodes down the line, we're not going to be able to reveal any of the really cool stuff that the fringe paths can do. But the uh, but the fringe pirates would know how to do a lot of that stuff. So you would get that more middle campaign knowledge in an introductory campaign be, by putting somebody as a fringe pirate, you know, st- stuck as in a fringe pirate scenario, as as a uh, Sh- Shanghai, Shanghai, yeah, as a con- as a conscript who has to ro- rise through the ranks in order to attempt to escape. If he re- if, and, and maybe at the end he might decide he doesn't want to escape. 
And we're introducing in uh, in Portals Four a character called Tucker, and she is a she was captured by fringe pirates, sold to gypsies, and then gifted to the Tremalrin. And she ended up being raised by them. So she's got you know, she's got two different backgrounds: the the gypsy background and the the being raised by the Tremalrin. You know, pat you on the head here. This is how you do this. Here here's your sonic screwdriver, that kind of thing, which makes a very interesting character. Yeah, your your sonic screwdriver that sings to you at night. And make sure you feed it. And you have to feed it. Yeah. <laughs> your attitude. <laughs> came from you know the first few years with the pirates and then the uh, the gypsies so you're you're you got kind of a messed up background and then you end up with Idet. Mm, and you think they're doing it completely wrong well of course you would they're so provincial well because this girl has such a a grand view of the big picture of the fringe pats and here are these people just stepping out, you know, a couple months out, and they're, oh yeah, we found this portal. She would be the uh, she would be the ri- uh, um, river uh, river to the team's um, firefly. Yeah, just you know, I see so many ways that things go wrong, and you're just not getting it because you have no idea what's out there. Yeah. Yeah, she's the one that knows how to use the platform. She's the one that can open up the extra special interface to the to the ring stations, which is more than possible because she she actually plays a uh, uh, even as a character. We she was run uh, last uh, March at Ancon and uh, did wonderfully. And uh, with the uh, the uh, the fringe uh, the uh, uh, fringe trucker scenario. Oh, okay. Oh. The- now there's now there's something because it's actually not officially yet part of it, but the French trucker, you know, the trucking lifestyle. I mean, it, it would be you know BJ and the Bandit all over again, but on the French paths. <laughs> world to world, yep. Yeah. Now there's one thing I've always wanted to do, uh, and I've tried to do it one time, but my players didn't f- go through it to the end. And that is, to, you know, it's using the fringe worthy, but it, as more of a backdrop to something else. And what I'm talking about is the great fringe race where people build vehicles that will travel on the fringe paths and they're doing a big giant race. And you have all these races from all these different worlds involved, you know, building these strange vehicles using the fringe physics and using all these different techniques in order to try to win in this great, you know, Commonwealth race. The great Leslie will win this race. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would be on, that would involve these hundred foot portals. Maybe, but still, the, the 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 point here is is that you know you uh you're not it's not an exploration. It's about people who are motorheads, and and they're trying to you know use you know come come up with all these different techniques to get over on each other and go you know because sometimes the race is going to go off onto a world and they're going to have to deal with you know you know, zero G or negative G and, uh, you know, other places are going to deal with carnivorous plants as part of the race and then come back on the fringe paths and have to do loop to loops around portals and, 
you know, there's going to be a lot of different things that they're going to have to come up with techniques in order to deal with them, you know. Proved it on MythBusters that if you fire off a, a wire, a hook, and try to go around something like they did in Batman, it just breaks the wire. It's not strong enough. The question is: Is it would there is there a material that could be strong enough to do that, or do they have to use some other technique? So I'm just saying this is a, a an idea I had about you know doing an adventure that takes place on the fringe paths, but isn't your standard, we're going out to explore this strange new world, make friends, and hopefully bring back something that will save Earth's problems. It's, it's, entirely, it's entirely a backdrop, and it's all about the actual people who are trying to succeed in this race for glory, fame, money, you know, a, a, a new world that's going to be manufactured to their specifications. I don't know. I mean, but... Some some great reason for them to win, maybe just to be, you know, just for the glory, you know. I can see it, you know, starting off on on Victorian Earth. This is something that one of their folks would come up with, you know, some sort of great adventure, and you have to go and you have to visit every world, uh, and go to a certain location in that world to get basically your book stamped, you know, and you know, and each and everybody thinks a minimum of fifty miles from the portal, so you have to be able to travel without, you know. Well, you know, travel at least fifty miles, if not further. You know, so in in our, and so of course, one of the stops has to be base, and you have to be able to get fifty miles on the ice sheet to a to some poor guy in a in a Quonset hut going, yeah, I'll stamp your book, get out of here, I'm freezing, yeah, <laughs> which is the first stop. A touch of ice road truckers, yeah, yeah. I'd rather you, I'd rather have someone use a laser and burn an, uh, a pictogram in the side of your vehicle as you go by. Whatever works, you know. Well, if you're on a world, you can do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever. How are you want to market? Yeah, and it's and it's and it's basically a time race. So they, each one gets gets you get set off at a time interval. It doesn't mean you can't get ahead of somebody. In fact, you want to get ahead of somebody. But yeah, you, you release that because you're going to basically make a loop and come back. Uh, or of course, as we make a point, you go, you get to a certain point, then you, then there's a guy sitting there waiting for you to show up. He puts on the crystal in the middle of the platform and opens up the way to the top. So you now can go up one level and come back. Ah, yes. Make a grand loop without, without going back to the same places again. Well, it also solves that whole problem about having all those guys racing down the same 41 foot wide, uh, roadway. Right. right. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, any other ideas about some real, you know, what, you know, about how you could do fringeworthy and uh, uh, as a strong uh, entry as an animation? One reason that a lot of people like animation is because since it is art, it, uh, it's not real life. It's easier to uh, render fantastical scenes. Because it's just another scene that you have to draw, anyways. So you might as well draw something fantastical. With all the stuff that they're doing, of course, with um, visual effects, with CGI and stuff like that, I don't know if that's actually true anymore under regular television. But I still still think it would be. But do you think that would be uh, an advantage uh, of animation to be able to do that? Do you think that there's elements in? I'm just trying to think of how you would render the fringe paths in an animation 
Okay, because you've got the weird star thing, and you don't want to give everybody, you know, you don't want everyone to get sick who's watching the show. So, is it would it kind of be like a a damping down of it, or how do you think that would be done? Once it gets into the hand of the animators, they want to do things like there'll be a portal activation animation, you know, where they t- you go to the you go to the you go to the pylon, you put the key in, you push the on button. Up to, up to that point in time, there's nothing in the ring. It's completely clear. Ah, uh, no, 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 no. I do not. I hope, I, for God's sake, I hope we're not going to have another flush. No, no, <laughs> no. I would. I would just think that you turn it on and it goes from nothing in the ring to just the black interface. Nothing spectacular. Just bing. There's the black interface. Uh, it, it it just could swirl in, but swirl in black. See, I, I, I wouldn't want that. I want the, the ring to remain black, okay? But I would think you could, but you could have lots of fun with the silver ring around it. I mean, you know, it's it's not even it's not even round anymore. It's a nine nineahedron or whatever that is. It's still rotating. Yeah, it's rotating. It could fluoresce. It could have little you know little lights that bounce around all over it when you decide to to, to go through it. It, when it's turned off, it's a ring. When you turn it on, it goes plunk into the night into into the no nicodemon. No, no, is it non nicodemon? Yeah, nobody. No, I don't know. No, I guess Richard should know. He's the one who changed it into it. I was perfectly happy when it was a nice, happy round ring. <laughs> In one of the one of the books we just did, it, it, as an uh, as an oval, I rotated. Figure that out. Well, in, in the Sarah's Rose book, I'm turning it into a, into a paper-thin ring you can barely see. So, just be different. It's, it's, it's still a ring, but it's incredibly thin. Because it doesn't need to be thick. Is it the same thickness all the way around, or is it just flat? Is it like you know really thin on one side, but it's in the same normal width that it always was before? Oh yeah, it's still the same. The ring is still the same width, but it's just really. I don't mean be, the twenty-five foot. I mean the part that's actually the ring. Okay, it, it, have you made that just tiny, tiny, like like practically a a line, or and it's and it's basically round all the way around, or is it, or is it more like a disc that now has it has a flat side and 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 it. Ha- you know, a, a thin side and a wide side is what I'm trying to say. Okay, the, the the thickness of the ring is about an inch. It's still the original whatever four inches wide, four inches wide by twenty five foot in diameter in diameter. So it's just really thin. Okay, so it's it's more like a discus now. Yeah. Okay, rather than just being a ring, you know, that was an inch around. Okay, gives you gives you more room to go through it. <laughs> hey, it's an extra. Yeah, okay. But if you were to have it as as an animation, which would you prefer? Would you prefer it to be, you know, like the almost real like they did in Harlock or would you prefer it to be um, you know, more along the lines of what they did in How to uh uh How to Train a Dragon where they were kind of super deformed? <laughs> or are you, are you, are you, or would you rather something more 2D in in in, in animation? You mean something more traditional 2D, where they're they're real, they're more they're more realistic in appearance, but they're 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 still 2D animation, like they are in most animes. Yeah, nowadays they use a lot of flash animation out there, so it's done all on computer, so it makes it easier for the animators. 
I don't understand what you're saying. Basically, they, they're using a Flash engine, uh, you know, Adobe Flash. How does that change the art style, John? It's still 2D. I mean, but it allows you, but it allows you to create great, you know, character. You know, a lot, a lot of Saturday morning cartoons are done this way these days. They're all done with flash animation because uh, then you can actually have multiple characters, multiple character templates that you can use from, di- you know, different poses. Would you want to do it a la um, South Park? <laughs> well, <laughs> has anybody ever seen Babylon Park? Yes, we have. That's why I'm asking. And there's a couple of references to Fringeworthy in that, which is very <laughs> cute. Oh, more than a couple. So. Yeah, I don't know it. Well, is 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 that something that, <coughs> that you'd like to see more of, uh, John, Trav, Richard, or or are we satisfied with what we've already seen? I think we're good. I haven't seen it, so I have to go find it now. Oh man, I can't believe you haven't seen it, John. Since you're the, you know, you, you've had more access than any of us. John, I'll have to dupe one and get it out to you or something because it just doesn't exist anymore. It's not on YouTube. There was a huge fight before Brian died. We were given the rights to produce, I think, uh, fifty to a hundred of them. It's a, it's a, there's it, a three and a half minute long version of it on YouTube. Oh no, that's that's the original, not the almost ah. hour long version. But uh, we produced ah. them, and at the last minute, the other company that was involved in it pulled the rights out from under us. And we basically we destroyed them all, but a few. And uh, I can actually get one out to you. And under the auspices, you have to return it to me, and it goes back in the safe. Was it was it uh, Christopher Russo? Yes, it was. He and Brian Rowe were working, and then, you know, Brian passed away in December. Yeah. Hmm. Well, they have an official website. Hmm. I don't know if the actual animation will be on it. Depends. I, I think that it's still in, uh, in contention. So, I, I, and I guess puppets are out, right? Um, I was, I got to see a production of something called string theory, uh, which was still probably isn't out yet, but uh, it's what was wonderful. They were, they were basically they were puppets, but done very high tech. And uh, my friend Bill Wardrop was working on the uh, series, building props and the you know stuff for them. But uh, amazing, just beautifully done. I, that would be cute. It would be, but the problem is it would be very Gary Andersonish. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's I, I, again. I was thinking of South Park and their Team America, and yes, very Gary Anderson. Uh, that's all I really had as far as uh, thinking about doing it. Um, of course, this this would require a tremendous amount of work to get something put together at any point that it would be worthwhile. Uh, is this something that you, Richard, would want to happen? It would be wonderful if you know if it did something. It really would. Yeah. You know, we we had the we had the 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 person who produced the Land of the Lost movie contacted us and wanted to see all of the games, and uh, for the possibility of several movies. Hmm. And he also produced Hellboy, the original. Ah. And uh, after Land of the Lost, I haven't seen his name anywhere listed in Hollywood. 
Very few people even remember the second Land of the Lost, the one that actually had the damn good CGI and everything else. Oh, the nineteen ninety one one. Yeah, yeah. I never, actually, I, that, I, never I, I never cared for that one. Well, it was interesting because the, the 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 girl who kept showing up, I think it was Holly. No, it wasn't. No, no. Yeah, she. I think she got married, and uh, let's take a look and see. The remake? Well, I, I mean, it was. I mean, the character that was in the show, the one that joined them for a while, was was all. It could have been Holly. It could have been the original Holly, still stuck there. Oh, are you talking not the actress, but the but the character? The character, yeah. Well, you know, this is this is the twenty first century, Richard. It's all going to be available sooner or later. Twenty thousand dollars worth of missile in one burst of EMP, and it's all history. Maybe not, not as long as it's on, is, is on a million people's cell phones throughout the world. Yeah. 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 Actually, you know, what what, what would last all the master DVD, uh, DVD presses, uh, they're made out, they're made out, they're made of a very strong, I think they're made out of platinum or something like that. And as long as they're taken care of, they last forever. And they only use, they only use to make the actual production presses. So uh, those dies, you know, you put them away and they last forever. And you, you just got to be able to be able to read the DVD sometime in the future. <laughs> you, I have to get going. And the only thing I want oh. to say before I go is the, uh, the, the death ponies are coming along. I've seen the prototype so far and they're oh. beautiful. They're, Annie Barlow has really outdone himself. Yeah. He's using a, a incredibly high density, uh, was it a, a maker bot to do the cores of the miniatures, and then then they'll be cast. So you can design it, and then you can design the miniature, and then basically do a couple of prototypes, and then cast from the prototypes. Oh, and they're they're great. You can adjust them. You can do things with them, and basically, it's very inexpensive to do now. It's a whole revolution in miniatures. And uh, let's see. And there'll be a micro product to go with that. Uh, Eradicator is being edited uh, mm-hmm. officially. And uh, that's about it. Uh, now, is this being recorded, Bruce? It's being recorded, John. Uh, uh, Rich. Okay. <laughs> and as soon as we're out of recording, just for a few seconds, I want to say some things. Okay. Can you, can you yeah. stop the recording for just a few seconds? No. Let, let, if you want me to stop, let me go ahead and finish the episode. Yeah, closer. Is there something you want to say, John? Yeah, I was just saying there's this one more property we would probably be a definite winner and definitely have a large following. Beach Bunny Bimbles with Blasters, the animated series. And you've you seen you've seen the new new edition, right? <laughs> Not yet. I haven't seen the new edition. I've just seen the covers. I haven't seen the interiors yet. Okay. Uh, it's gonna knock your socks off. Um, yeah, that would be absolutely a wonderful, funny animation. Yeah, and it has all the uh, uh, bouncing uh, breasts that that are so so popular <laughs> in in the animation circles. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so thank folks, thanks for listening to this. If you think we should do an animation bible, uh, I'm going to leave it up to you guys. You guys, if you think we really should be doing it, I want to hear some feedback. I want to see some posts on our Facebook. I want to see some stuff uh, on our. Um, 
uh, tritaggamers.com board. I want to I, I want to see a couple reviews <laughs> on the iTunes. Okay, give us some feedback on this because uh, really this is a tremendous uh, amount of work to do this, and so. You know, we'd like to know that there was a core of people who were really behind it before we even seriously considered any at all. But uh, we will have more for you in all good things, TriTac, but you'll have to wait till next week. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the TriTech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, We'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.